So in the very first verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, we meet God. And when we meet God for the first time, he's not just idly hanging out. He's not detached. He's not bored. When we meet him, he is poised to create. And I'm struck by the two words that come from the very first verse of the Bible. The words are God created. The verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the, and the earth. And in the verses that follow, we see God wildly and passionately creating. On the very first day, God created light into the darkness and the void. There was nothing and he created something. The Bible uses a fancy term, ex nihilo. From out of nothing, God created light. He just flipped a switch and there was light. And he created day and night and they came into being On the second day, God created the heavens. God decided he wanted a sky. And so he painted it the most incredible color of blue, the color that it still is to this day. And he picked blue because he could and because his palette is perfect and because he knew that I liked blue. That's why it's there. On day three, God created earth and vegetation. I like to put it this way. God made dirt. I like it when God makes dirt, sand and gravel and rocks and land. And he parted the waters and he dumped clumps of dirt in piles of mountains. And and then he made little tiny piles of dirt. And he surrounded it with water and he sprinkled the edges with sand. And while he did that, I'm sure he hummed a Beach Boys tune because that's the way it works in my brain. And then he decided he was going to throw a different color. He threw a a thousand shades of green and and it just painted and became this beautiful rainforest. And then he decided to dry out some dirt. And with the flick of his finger, he made this massive canyon. And he painted it whatever color he wanted to. And he painted flowers and trees and cactuses and shrubs. And he threw color into the air again. And he painted the land that he had just created. And he was just on day three. And then on the fourth day, God created sun and moon and stars. He made a sun and he decided, because he's perfect, that the people of Florida would be blessed and always know what the sun was. And then he cursed the people of the Pacific Northwest and said, there's a sun, I promise you, you're just not going to get to see it very often. And that was a big faith thing for all of us. And he created a guide to watch over the nighttime and he just breathed out galaxies and stars and planets and supernovas and black holes and he painted the ends of the universe and then he just spun it and said, look at that, day four. Then on day five, God created fish and birds He filled the skies and the seas with living things and and he made something slippery called a fish and he made it huge because Jonah was going to need transportation at some point. Then he took another fish and he gave it teeth and he made it feisty. I love sharks. Then he took another fish and he made it playful. I love dolphins. And then he decided to cover something with feathers and he made hawks and eagles and sparrows and he stretched their wings and said, it'd be really cool if you could fly. Then he got bored and he grabbed a bird by its feet and its neck and he stretched it and it became an ostrich. And he said, just because you don't get to fly, but you're going to be able to run really fast. And he did it because he's God. And on day six, 
God created animals and mankind. I love day six because my imagination goes absolutely nuts. In my brain, he makes a hippo. Huge, big, big fat head, big mouth. Gray. Why gray? And then in my brain, right after he made this incredible thing called a hippo, he said, that's a little boring. And so he made it miniature and he tweaked its ear and its nose and he twisted its its tail and he painted it pink and it became a pig. Yes. And after he made that pig, he just smiled. And then he made a monkey and he made a meerkat. And then he decided to put a beaver and a duck together. And then one poor, unfortunate little monkey spent a little bit too much time in God's hand and he squeezed a little bit too hard. And this is what happened. (laughs) Are you feeling it? The love that God creates. And then he said, let us, let us, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let's make man in our image. And God created male and female out of dust and out of the side of the man. He creates both of them. And he makes a pronouncement that they're very, very good. And then on the seventh day, God rests. Not because he needed the rest, but because he was sending us a message. Before we get to the message, I just want you to notice something. My prayer is that you'll go back and you'll read Genesis chapter 1 and that you will see that there is a pattern and a symmetry and an order to creation. They always start out the same way. There's an announcement. God said something good is coming. And then creation happens. He says, let there be light and animals and people. And immediately there's a fulfillment. There's not a delay. There's not a hesitation. God speaks it and there it is. And then he blesses it. He says, it's good. All during the first couple of days, he keeps saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Platypus, good. Mountain, good. Island, good. And then he makes mankind, and he says, now that's very good. Do you know why it differentiates? Because we bear the image of God. Each one of us is precious in his sight because somewhere down in the depth of our soul, the thumbprint of God has been impressed on your very heart and mind. That's your legacy. That's your family. My prayer is you'll live up to your family image. Then he makes a statement of fact at the end of each one of them. He goes, and then there was. God said, going to have light. There's light. And he goes, and there was light. It came to be as God created and designed it. And do you see the pattern and the symmetry? There's such a clue there. There's a clue and there's a principle attached. And just out of the first chapter, I wanted to draw out some of the clues and principles that we find in the creation account of Scripture. They're so important. God starts, he creates the principle of order, which means chaos is not a part of God's plan. God always works in order. There's something to be said for order and form and symmetry. It's a part of God's nature. It means this, the God that you love and serve is not random. He can seem unpredictable at times. There's times when we don't fully understand what it is that he's doing. And, 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 and he can seem unbelievably unpredictable until you put a bunch of time and space in between what it is that he's doing. And then you can turn back around and you go, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. God did everything in his perfect 
order. God's not random. It's methodical. It's built over time as he puts us in a refining process that brings glory to him and wonder and awe to all of his children. It's the principle of order. Next is the principle of creativity. I love that God loves to make something out of nothing. That he just can, he can just create. That he loves to bring order out of chaos. Because this is where it gets so personal for us. If you are living in chaos, this is what God wants for you. He wants to bring order to your life. He wants to put the pieces back together so that they make sense. This is where it gets so personal. He wants to bring peace. He can create something out of nothing, which is so encouraging to me because it means that when I feel like I've got nothing to bring, when I feel like there's nothing to offer, when I don't even have a dream left inside of my body anymore, that is the moment when I am called as the created one to run to my creator. So Jesus, I'm not running away. God, Papa, I'm not going to run away. Holy Spirit, I'm not going to run the wrong direction. I feel like I've got nothing, but you can make something out of nothing. So create a way. There's another principle here in creation. It's the principle of work. I put it this way. God worked and so should we. That is news to some of you. And we're supposed to work. We're created to work. I'll tell you something. When you stop working, you will stop living. For those of you who are entering your golden years, you do not get to retire from being a follower of Jesus. Ever. Let me talk to the 60 plus crowd. You're not done till you're dead. Do you understand that? We so desperately need you. God worked passionately with diligence and we should do the same thing. I mean, I believe, it's my conviction as the followers of God, we should be the most conscientious, hardworking, over and above kind of, and we should be everyone's dream employees because we don't work for human people. Scripture says we work as unto God himself. We should be just a cut above. That means we don't get to be the sniveling, entitled, the world owes me something kind of worker. That is not in our vocabulary. Now, there's a balance to this. Because God didn't just work, did he? He also rested. That's the final principle. It's a principle of rest. God rested and so should we. God's trying to model something here. He's trying to model balance here. And I want to remind you, God didn't need the rest. He's omnipotent. He has inexhaustible energy. He didn't need to rest because he needed to. He rested because he knew we would need to. He was trying to teach his people a lesson. The reality is this. Some of you work way too much. And the reality is your job is your God. Some of you don't work enough. That's also a sin. It's called laziness. Scripture has a name for it sluggard. If you're lazy, God's calling you a slug. And he's basically saying, get off your butt and go do something. Is that blunt enough for everybody? But there's a balance. Six part work, one part rest. Strategic, important, planned out rest. I just came back from a season of rest. I want to say thank you to everybody who actually emails me and does not say, where have you been and what are you doing? Thank you to those of you who email me and say, we are so glad that you're taking time away with your family. 
Because I'll tell you something, I got way too many pastor friends who burnt out because they thought if they weren't here every weekend that God wasn't going to show up. Christ the King, I'm going to tell you something. When I'm not here and preaching, it's okay because Jesus is most definitely in his own house. And you should be here to worship him, not listen to some goofy guy with a microphone. Can I get an amen from somebody? I mean, that's just truth, right? Came back from a season of rest, and I, I know when I need rest because I start messing up my words. And you can just tell, you, this is what you need to know. When I start messing up my words, let me give you an example. Right before we went away on vacation, I was asked to speak at my son's baccalaureate service. Okay? Trying not to embarrass my kid. Trying to say the phrase... A man after God's own heart. I started the word heart with an F. (laughs) And they will never forget their baccalaureate service ever. (laughs) And Braden died in that moment. And so did I. Okay? Just needed rest. Needed to stop talking. Needed to sit quietly in God's creation and go, wow, it's bigger than me. Some of you are here today, and the reality is this. You need to get to work. Stop making excuses and get to work. Some of you need to stop making excuses and get some rest. Get off the treadmill, throw your iPhone in a glass of water, Tell your 67 friends on Facebook that they can go without you for an entire week. The universe will not fall apart and you just need to learn what it means to rest. Because God did. So God creates and while he creates, he teaches and after God's created and everything is perfect, the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, shows up. God creates and then Satan twisted. The Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And that's the way Satan works. He loves to to question. He loves to plant seeds of doubt. He's using the exact same plan today. So we should get a clue out of Genesis 1 through 3. When you have doubts in your mind, you need to know where those are coming from. When you don't believe that God has your best interest in mind, you need to know who that's coming from. When something is made right in your world and then it gets twisted, you need to look for the lies and the, and, and the evil perception and, and, and maybe where you settled and sinned. That's what happens in the count of creation. Satan twists it and he's still twisting it today. I mean, just think about it. He wants to twist the principle of order and convince us that God's way of doing things is boring and restrictive. And, and you, why would you? God's just trying to steal your fun. He twists the principle of creativity. He convinces us there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing can ever change. You've probably heard yourself say this lie. It is what it is. Not if you know Jesus, it isn't. He twists the principle of work. He makes us believe that that our worth comes from what we do, not who we are. He convinces us that everything in life is about creating this great big pile of stuff. He twists the principle of rest. He makes us believe that rest is for the weak. Some of you thought that, didn't you? You know why Grant's gone? Well, he only works like two hours a weekend anyway. But he had to take a break because he can't take it. You're right. 
but I was trying to be obedient. And I hope and pray you'll learn the same thing that I've been trying to learn from Genesis 1 through 3. You are not omnipotent. God is. It'd be good if we remembered that. Boy, it got quiet in here. Satan twisted and the reality is mankind fell. The Bible says when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man. I love that. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The biggest blame shift what a wuss, seriously. <laughs> then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, we need to understand this man hid. Adam and Eve hid and we've been hiding ever since. We do it every day. We don't even mean to. We hide behind our ego because we're insecure. We hide behind our bravado because we're supposed to have all the answers. We hide behind our own self-sufficiency. We hide behind the lie. I'm just fine. Thank you so much for asking. We hide behind our titles. We hide behind our bank accounts. We hide behind our addictions. We hide behind our jokes and humor because we hope that that if people think we're the funny guy, that they're never ever going to find out who we really are. We just hide. And the devil paints us in shame and we just get stuck there. One of the reasons Adam hid is because man hid from his responsibility. It drives me nuts. I grew up listening to messages where all the blame got shifted to Eve. It was all her fault. My question is this. Where was her husband? Where was he in that moment? He should have been there protecting, helping, encouraging, serving, walking alongside. He should have been there loving her. Instead, he was off doing who knows what. Guys, there's no room as followers of God, as mighty men of God, to be off doing whatever we want. We do have a responsibility. It's the most beautiful responsibility that any of us could have been given. And it doesn't mean that our partners and spouses are weak. It doesn't mean they can't do things on their own. It just means God's given us this beautiful responsibility. And Adam blew it. He wasn't where he was supposed to be when the devil was talking to his wife. He abdicated his role, and the truth is, guys have been doing it ever since. He hid from his responsibility. Man hid from the truth. The truth was, God wasn't trying to withhold something from Adam and Eve when he said, you can have any tree you want to, but you need to leave that tree alone. God wasn't trying to penalize them. He was trying to protect Adam and Eve. And we often see God as a creator who's trying to withhold our freedom or our fun. But the truth is, he's trying to protect us from the deception of the enemy that says that, and and the enemy just keeps saying, if you go and get this stuff, it's going to fill the hole in your soul. And God, the creator, loves us so much. That's a lie. That's a lie. My encouragement to you is to fill your life with the creator 
that and only that will fulfill and fill that hole in the bottom of who you are. You see, we read the account in Genesis and, and man hid from his creator. He should have run to his creator, but instead he hid. So here's a tough question of application. Right here, right now. What are you hiding from right now? What are you hiding from? Not the person next to you. Keep your, keep your eyes on your own sin. What are you hiding from right now that God is calling out to you? Where are you? Where'd you go? Just so you know, he's not asking that because he doesn't know where you are. He's asking that so you'll respond and step out of the shadows and into the light. That's a whole other message right there. This is the part I love. Man hid and God could have walked away. He could have, right? He could have said, there you go, you blew it. I created you, I gave you everything you needed, and you blew it. You listened to the snake. What was your problem? Which is not quite bright enough. I should have increased the IQ of the first two, right? But instead, you guys just decided, so here's the deal. You know, you, you blew it. You bought the lie. Well, I'm going to wipe it out and start all over again. God so could have done that, but he didn't. It's not what happens. Satan twisted. Mankind bought the lie. And we fell right along with Adam and Eve. I mean, let's not put them on, on some kind of a silver pedestal that makes them go, they're all the reason, you know, but it's all that, you know. We fell at the same time because we make sinful decisions. And this is the beautiful part of creation to me. Right up there with the creation of all the other stuff. After mankind falls, God creates again. God creates again. Genesis 3.21 says this, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he covered them. I want you to know something. God covered them with skin, which meant some part of God's creation had to give its life so that their shame, their failure, Everything they'd ever done wrong could be covered. Because there's no skinless animals walking around. God steps in in that moment and he covers them. But for them to be covered, my friends, make no mistake, something had to die. You see, the reality is, here's the truth. There are consequences for sin. Adam and Eve ended up having to leave the garden. They couldn't stay in the perfection because they weren't perfect anymore. They had to work. They had to struggle. Suddenly having children was a painful process. Weeds began to grow. There were consequences for sin. And when we sin, let's just be honest, there's consequences. Some of them are logical and predictable. Some of them are subtle. Some of them are severe. Some of the consequences are painful. Some of them feel like they're permanent. I have sin that I have been forgiven for, but it's left a mark on my soul and my life. But even for that, there's good news. There's such good news that God has a plan for the complete restoration of his creation. 
From this point on in scripture, God creates a way for mankind and God to be reunited. See, there's this all, suddenly there's this huge chasm between a perfect God and sinful man. They can't coexist that way. It doesn't work. And there's this huge chasm in between of them. And God loves his creation so much that he begins to plan. He begins to create. There's got to be a way to bridge that gap. And for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, the way that gap was bridged was by an animal giving its life. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so for centuries, innocent animals were killed and sacrificed to appease the wrath of God so that sinners could actually stand and have a relationship with him. And some of you are animal rights people, and that just offends you to the core, that stuff that we did, we could take it out on animals. Well, if you're one of those folks, God should be your best friend, because about 2,000 years ago, he put a stop to it. He said, this never happened, has to happen again. And the way he did it was by having a perfect sacrifice who shed his blood willingly for his very creation. God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to come here, shed his blood perfectly once and for all. So the perfect sacrifice was made and never again did another sacrifice have to be made to cover your biggest mistake and mine. God created a way for the created and the creator to come back into friendship again. He sent a savior. He sent a son. He sent a king. The king of all creation. To die for his creation. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. In him... Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment so that all things in heaven and on earth together will come under one head even Christ. Here's the story of creation thus far. God created Satan twisted. Mankind fell. So God created again. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And today, in God's creation, Jesus rules. That's it. So, 
What's God asking you to do? Some of you need to rest. Some of you need to work. Some of you need to top, talk, or stop talking smack about God's creation when you look at yourself and say you're ugly. How dare you call what God said was very good to be something that's broken? He's beautiful, and that means you are too. Some of you need to understand the lengths to which Jesus went to to be that perfect sacrifice so that he could forgive you and set you free and that you don't need to carry that burden anymore. Jesus has dealt with your sin. My question is, have you made it personal? The God of all creation is here, loves you, and wants nothing more than to bring order out of your chaos. And that, my friends, makes me want to stand in awe and see how great thou art. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we declare your greatness because of your creation. We declare your greatness because of your patience. We declare your greatness because of your love for us. We declare your patience because of your wonderful gifts to us. God, we declare your greatness because of who you are, our creator. As your created beings, we use the voice that you gave us to say, great is our God. We love you. We extol you. We give glory and honor to you and only you. Father, forgive us when we look down on your creation. Forgive us for taking it for granted. Lord, forgive us when we, when we add to the chaos instead of embracing the order that you have for us. God, forgive us for forgetting the price that you paid to restore relationship with your children. Lord, we love you. And over the next weeks, as, as we just unfold your amazing accounts of the Old Testament and then look ahead into the New Testament and see the cross, God, would you bless us in that journey? We give you praise the God of the ostrich, the God of the sky and the sea, and the God of our hearts who knows each one of us intimately. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.